Hi, everybody. It's Bean. Welcome to an all-new episode of Great Moments in Weed History. A quick warning at the top of this one. I do get up on my high horse just a bit, but for a good cause. There's an initiative that's going to be on the ballot in Humboldt County, California, that would really, truly devastate the small farmers up there, and people need to know about it. So, to that end, my guest this week is stand-up comedian Billy Wayne Davis, who I'll be joining on October 1st at the Mateel Center in Southern Humboldt for a benefit show to help vote down this bullshit Measure A. We'll be joined by Mike Glazer from Weed and Grub, Frank Castillo from the Peaked Podcast, and Henry Zabrowski from Last Podcast on the Left. All excellent podcasts that I highly recommend you check out. As you'll hear in my conversation with Billy Wayne, this eradication initiative up in Humboldt was drafted in secret and the signatures required to put it before voters were gathered by willfully deceiving people. The shadowy figures behind this effort claim that the purpose of their proposed law is to prevent harm caused by large-scale cannabis cultivation. But here is how an independent analysis by the Humboldt County Planning Department put it. Quote, The existing Humboldt County cannabis regulations are intended to encourage a well-regulated cannabis industry, but Measure A could have the opposite effect by making compliance so difficult that the legal market is rendered not viable. These restrictions affect the smallest of farms permitted in Humboldt County. So basically, they want to bring back cannabis prohibition through toxic regulatory capture. Think about that. America's weed basket rendered unable to participate in legal cultivation because a bunch of canophobic busybodies passed an unworkable law. We cannot let that happen. For a history lesson in Humboldt County cannabis, please dip into the great moments in weed history archives and find an episode titled How Growers Foiled the Cops in Humboldt County, one of my favorite episodes of this program. In that one, we spoke with Agnes Patak, who, as co-founder of both the Citizens Observation Group and nonprofit KMUD Radio, spent decades monitoring the police and broadcasting real-time warnings about their rating parties over the radio. That kind of community-based mutual support is how Humboldt County's weed culture survived an era of helicopter raids from the government and draconian prison sentences for growing flowers. Today, as you're about to hear, the biggest threat actually comes not from the police, but from a bunch of lawyers and conservative political operators, which reminds me of a line from a Woody Guthrie song. Now it's through this world I ramble I see lots of funny men Some will rob you with a six-gun Some with a fountain pen But it's through your life you travel And it's through your life you roam you will never see an outlaw to drive a family from their home. And just saying, if it can happen in Humboldt County, you better believe it can happen where you live. 
So please check the show notes of this episode for more information on how you can support the OG weed farmers of Humboldt County, even if you can't make it in person to the benefit on October 1st. And just a heads up, I'll also be performing a live episode of Great Moments in Weed History in Humboldt on October 7th as part of the Savage Henry Comedy Festival. What a wonderful way to kick off the start of harvest season. Now, on to Billy Wayne Davis. I get free pot from the dispensary because we share a parking lot, and sometimes people come in the dispensary, park in my spot, and I get mad as hell. (laughs) And then the owner comes out, and he gives me free pot, and I calm down. And he goes back inside, and I just point people back in the spot. I get mad again. <laughs> I don't even own a car. <laughs> there are side effects to getting free pot, though. Like, I got too high the other day. Do you know you can do that? Yes, you can. I've been trying for a decade. I fucking did it. In addition to traveling all over the country to make people laugh, Billy Wayne is also the host of the excellent podcast, Grown Local, on which he interviews all sorts of weed people with a particular focus on small-scale craft growers. We've been friends for a while and have shared some comedic adventures out on the road. In this episode, we dig into a few of Billy Wayne's personal greatest weed moments from his cannabis origin story to an enduring life lesson he got firsthand from stand-up legend Ralphie May. That's a really wild story. But first, a quick and very heartfelt thank you to everyone who supports this podcast on Patreon. You are truly keeping us on the air. And if you want to lend your support, you can go to greatmomentsinweedhistory.com to sign up. You will get incredible bonuses like the video version of this podcast. You see me waving at you. You can join for as little as a dollar. You could put five on it or for a little more, you'll get a signed copy of my book, How to Smoke Pot, properly mailed directly to your door. And you will get our weekly secret sessions just for Patreon supporters. And it is all at greatmomentsinweedhistory.com. Now, finally, a programming note. This episode marks the one-year anniversary of me hosting Great Moments in Weed History solo. I want to start by apologizing to anybody who has felt like I've kept you all in the dark about why Abdullah left the show. I have hoped that he would come on the podcast, explain all of this in his own words. But after a year, I don't want to continue to not respond to those of you who have asked. So without putting words in anyone else's mouth, I'll just say that last year, Abdullah sold a TV pilot that got picked up for a full season, and he decided to focus on that, a decision which I totally understand and support. Everything is good. Personally, between the two of us, looking back, I have to say I'm very proud of the past year's worth of episodes, and looking forward, I am really fired up to keep putting out the best podcast possible. So from the bottom of my heart, from the scraping of my bowl, from the uh, stash of my pocket, uh, thank you so much for sticking with Great Moments in Weed History. It is truly my honor, my privilege, and my great pleasure to share these stories with you and with weed people 
all over the world. If you have any questions or you just want to get in touch, please email me anytime, info at greatmomentsinweedhistory.com. In the meantime, I've got this sweet little half J of unknown origin and provenance uh, to light up for this episode. I'm about as far from my last year's harvest as possible. I am looking very much forward to being up in humble at harvest time. Uh, we are doing this benefit. Uh, I am not getting paid. No one involved in this is getting paid, but I am bringing up a few empty mason jars with me. So uh, <laughs> here's open. In the meantime, wait, I'm hearing that you, dear listener, may not be ready to roll into this episode. Roll into it. Yep, you heard me right. You are saying, wait, this sounds like it's going to be an engaging, weedy conversation with an incredible comedic mind, but I'm not lit. I'm not even ready to get lit. Well, you know what you have to do, longtime listeners, and if this is your first time sharing a great moment with us all, let me clue you in. You just hit pause, and then you can use that time at your leisure to roll yourself a joint, or to split a blunt, or to pack a bong, or to endabulate a dab, or to ingest as many edibles as you feel it is wise to do, but not one edible more. However you get to where you want to be, our promise to you is that when you hit unpause and you are ready we'll also be ready for another great moment in weed history Billy Wayne Davis of the excellent Grown Local podcast out on the road as we speak, doing the work, bringing live comedy to the people. Welcome to Great Moments in Weed History. It is. you get. I love the podcast, so it's, you know, it's finally I get to be on it. It's kind of one of those fun things. We've been friends for a while, so... Yeah, we've shared some adventures out on the road, and we're going to be seeing each other October 1st at the Mateel Center in Southern Humboldt for a uh, very fun comedy event, but with a very, very serious purpose to it. Yeah, it sucks that we have to do this for the reasons we have to do it. Like, it's going to be a ball. Like, those 36 hours we're in Humboldt October 1st is going to be... It's going to be a time, but it's because a couple of dingbats wanted to spend some money and show their power. So now we have to waste a lot of people's time to stop a thing that shouldn't have even existed in the first place. Yeah. Anybody who's been listening to this podcast knows it has been a rough road to hoe lately for 
are uh, heroic growers in Humboldt County. That is America's weed basket. Now it's no longer the man, but all of these uh, psycho Karens coming after weed, right? Why don't you tell people a little bit about why we're heading up there and what we're uh, kind of rallying against with this benefit on October 1st. If you remember Agnes when she spoke when we were at the Matil last year, but she said it best where she was like, for so long we knew who the enemy was and who was coming after us. But now it's this invisible hand that is destroying us. And it's even more scary because it's it'll happen without us realizing where they won't tell us the truth about things. And so that's kind of what happened is like these two older dingbats, professors who own some land in Northern Humboldt, someone wanted to start a total legal grow on a hill next to theirs, not on their hill, on a hill close to their hill. And these old people with money who haven't been involved in cannabis or the legalization uh, up until now had no interest in finding out anything, just hired a law firm that, and I'm not even mad at the law firm because all they're doing is taking money and knowing they're going to lose because they know they're going to lose, but they're like, we'll take your money. But this is, they're just doing that for little different red counties across and messing with people that wanted that. I think more than anything, don't understand the plant don't understand who's growing it. And they lied to the community of Humboldt too to get these signatures. So that's why I got really fired up about it. And then when they explained to me that it could destroy 600 people's livelihoods, 600 farms. And, and that is the essence of Southern Humboldt. That is those who those people are. They're not people getting rich. Is that that's the that's the frustrating part too? Is like getting that word out. Is like these aren't farmers who were like millionaires. These are farmers who love this lifestyle and love this plant and want to continue that legacy. And we have to protect them as consumers and people that love this plant. And I was like, oh, I can bring some of my louder, funnier friends. And so we're bringing the guys from last podcast on the left, Henry Zabrowski. We're bringing Mike Glazer. From Weed and Grub, we're bringing Frank Castillo from the Peak Podcast, so it's going to be a shindig. Yeah, and if you're not in the area, you know we're going to be putting these shows out, and of course, you can support from outside of this community. We'll have all of that information in the show notes, and 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 I think you make an important point. Even if you don't grow or distribute this plant, you are part of this supply chain. You know, Amen. As you said. They went out to collect signatures in this community and they said, we want to protect the small growers from the big growers, from the corporate growers. Which is not what they're doing. No, that's a very powerful message in Humboldt. Yes, it is. That's a big threat to the kind of mom and pop style, legacy, multi-generational lovers of the plant that we all do want to support. They have a lifestyle. It started with the back to landers. And and that's the thing I think people on this podcast understand too. And if and if you guys want to listen to our my podcast, Grown Local, if we went up and interviewed a bunch of Humboldt people early in our podcast and kind of got the real like uh, the real story is like 
they did most people didn't move to Humboldt County to grow cannabis. They moved there because it's rural and they wanted to get back to the land lifestyle. And then they noticed this one plant it actually makes us money. So it like kind of helps us do stuff. So it's a cash crop is what agriculture would call it. Uh, and it's what I preach when I go to where I'm from in Tennessee, where it's still very, very illegal. And it, and you know, I was raised on a cattle farm and we had a big garden and all that. And I have to be like, hey, if we're such an agriculture state, like everyone loves to brag about, why is the only crop that makes real money illegal? And then you just see all these farmers be like, huh, that's a good question. And you're like, mm-hmm, it is. It but that's what Humboldt is. It's like it's not the green rush. They got rid of all those dingbats that came in to just take resources and take money and the cartels and all that organized crime they're not there anymore those people aren't there because it's legal and it's tough to live in humboldt unless you want to it's tough to get to humboldt unless you want to it's tough to get to Humboldt when you want to. That's what I'm saying. You gotta <laughs> want it. And it's a wonderful place when you get there, but it needs to be protected, not only for cannabis reasons, but like the redwoods, all those forests, all the old growth, it's teaching us how the earth and the soil and plants and nature all are symbiotic and work together. Like I get nothing out of, I mean, I nothing like financially or any, you know, but like, it makes my soul feel good to like help these people. I feel called to help them. Sometimes my wife is like, what is your fucking deal? And I'm like, I, the plant helped me a lot. If I'm being honest, it really helped me more than like, Oh, it gets me high. and makes me feel good. Like it changed my life. It clearly helps people, this plant. So if we don't take care of the plant and then we don't take care of the people, take care of the plant, we're fucked again. Sorry to get all preachy, everybody. No, <laughs> this is like in the middle of it. I was like, "Stop preaching!" I was like, "I can't stop." No, this is this is what we're here for, and this is a a weed soapbox uh, made of hemp. And you know, I think one thing is, you know, everyone that you know is participating in this event. None of us are from Humboldt, but we've all been touched by it. And I think one of the reasons, too, is we have to talk about how unique this community is. One, if you love weed, yes, you owe a debt to the people who dodged fucking helicopters and went to prison. You like good genetics. It's because of them. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And the other thing is when you go up there and you really get uh, a little beneath the surface, what you see is that all right, you had said, why is the one uh, plant that you can make money illegal? Well, part of it is the illegality is why those prices were so good. It was $5,000 a pound for outdoor back in the day, but you had to go miles into the wood and wear camouflage and carry water on your back to grow those plants. But what that created was the mindset of the people there, particularly that original back to the land generation and their descendants that you touched upon was, okay, we're not paying taxes on this because we would be incriminating ourselves, but we're going to tax ourselves by creating 
an incredibly beautiful community center, which is where we're going to host this event by creating uh, community schools, hospitals, programs for low-income people, and by supporting the arts. The Matil Center, which we're donating 70% of ticket sales right back to Matil, it's made from the Redwoods. It's one of the most beautifully built venues I've ever been in. And I've been in some of the most amazing venues in the world. You know, we're trying to stay positive because they just keep taking hits every year. Last year it was the state. This year it's the fucking county. But what they've said is like, this one is kind of backfired on the people coming after them, I think, because it's bringing this community back together in a way it hasn't been in a while. And that kind of gives me chills because like you said, like, when that community is working together, they are powerful. They created a goddamn radio station. They create, you know, it's like, you know, they save redwoods. There's people living in trees. The unique thing about that community as well to me is I have never been or heard of any place in this country where to be a little reductive, the left wing and the right wing uh, know each other, respect each other, have common ground, and will be willing to stand side by side when the shit hits the fan. And it doesn't mean that there's not outliers in that community who are fucked up beyond the ability. It's still, there's still some hillbilly bullshit going down there. So. <laughs> Yeah, That's but right. it's they're not immune to that. Yes, exactly. It's That's it's the- integrated in a way because you know the people who were up there originally, and I'm going to say as a not in all a disrespectful term, but just to say sort of the rednecky local vibe, yeah. they already got burned by timber coming in, cutting down every tree, extracting the value of those trees, and leaving. And then the fisheries did the exact same thing. And so by the time these back-to-the-land hippie left-wingish type people got up there and started growing a little weed, uh, guess what? So did the locals. And they both faced the same oppression from the government. And they both saw the illogic of it. They both saw the just meanness of it. I think cannabis might bring the country back together because I keep making this point everywhere I go, especially the prohibition states. It's like, you know who taught me to smoke weed? My conservative friends. They all had weed because they were all on farms and shit like that. And I pointed out to them like, hey, why you vote against it? And you just see them be like, hmm, I don't know. I'm like, because you taught me how to smoke. It's like my cousin went to, when I lived in Seattle. He said, you out there in Seattle living in tree houses, smoking weed all day? And I said, why'd you say that like it was a bad thing? <laughs> I was like, a tree house would be cool, and you taught me how to smoke weed, motherfucker. <laughs> and he went, shit, I don't realize why I did say that. Is, that does sound fun now that I think about it. I'm like, yeah, it's, but I think, you know, a lot of it's, they just, there's media. And they hear, oh, it's just fear-mongering. And I think that you made such a good point about the community aspect of Humboldt because it's rural and they have to depend on each other. They get the capitalism part better than most of the rest of the country in that we're being divided for capitalism. 
Yeah, you will, you know, I, I am not talking about anybody specifically, and I will not testify if called to testify, but, you know, you're going to find a pickup truck stuffed with weed heading down to the L.A., and uh, the person in the driver's seat is going to be uh, very, very far to the right and wanting to listen to that hard-ass talk radio, and the person in the passenger seat is going to be playing dead tunes on a harmonica, and... uh they're going to be very much well you know uh i don't agree with i don't agree with everything rainbow says but you know when the shit hits the fan i can depend on him and really that's what this country is supposed to be about and if we're ever going to get past this you know it's very easy to just think oh well one side or the other needs to be dominant and win and that's just a a, a very childlike way to think about well there's no winning and, you know, whether anybody is directly involved in the cannabis trade above or below ground in those areas, your pizzeria is not going to survive this. Your daycare center is not going to survive this. As you said, a good common enemy can really bring people together. Uh, it's bringing all of us up to the material center on October 1st. I can't wait to see you there. In the meantime, you know, that that's going to be a great moment. The, certainly doing that show for us. We'll be up there at the beginning of harvest season. That parking lot's going to be a good time. <laughs> I'm always curious with our guests. You know, there's the big, big, great moments in weed history that truly changed the world. And then there's the great moments in our own personal weed histories that that change our worlds and uh maybe you could share a couple couple stories like that with me of course I, there is the first time you get truly stoned i remember that very vividly i was in a an alley in bowling green kentucky behind the fraternity house i was i had joined and realized was a mistake but you know what are you gonna do was that the moment when you realized it was a mistake no, it was, you know, well, you know what I mean? It was like leading it. You were like, oh, this isn't what they said this was. There's still a handful of dudes I really like. You know, it, it, like any group of people, you're still going to find people you like. But you're like, this isn't what I thought. And then this dude and I were just, he's like, you want to smoke some weed? And I was like, yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm in college and I don't play sports anymore or whatever. But I remember getting like stoned, stoned. And then just that realization of being like, uh, I'm, I'm never not going to do this. This is, <laughs> this is awesome. Like with booze, I was like, I haven't drank booze in 10 years. And even at that time, that was like early in my drinking days. I already knew I was like, I don't love this. I don't love booze. I don't love it. I will eventually, but it's very socially acceptable and it seems to like be a thing. I was like, I'll eventually probably quit this. I, I knew that early on. But weed was like one of those things where I was just like, from the first time it really hit me, I was like, huh, I like this. Like, I'm not out of my mind. I feel awesome. Things are a little funny, a little elevated. And the next day I feel wonderful. Okay, this is. And then, you know, it goes from that to being like, well, why is it illegal? I knew it, it wasn't going to be my personality. I didn't want to be that dude that was like, you know, you know, everybody, you know who I'm talking about, that kid. <laughs> Which really, that kid is awesome, but that kid is also that kid like, is listening. <laughs> yes, for sure, and we love you. And that, but yeah. but you know that's the reason you got in trouble a lot is because everyone knew that was your thing. 
And everybody who got caught said they got it from you. Not me. That is not I me. I never got shit. caught. I never got but caught. Nathan, but. sorry that people did that to you. That is exactly. Oh, I mean, that was one of the realizations where I was like, I wonder if I could deal this. And then I started looking around. I was like, oh, everyone that gets caught in college rats. So you're like, you can't, you can't sell it to anybody. You can't be a college student and sell it to other people because they will rat on you. And then I had that same realization the first time I grew it. Huh? Oh, it is a plant. How did they make this thing that grows? illegal that is wild but i would say this is a good this is the story you're looking for more than the the pinnacle turn of the little epiphanies that people have everybody had you know you have to have your weed origin story yes yes you know, that was. a radioactive weed spider bites you or well i did have that my puerto rican teammates in junior college baseball brought some stuff over that was like glowing green like they looked like the I'd never seen anything like it. And it was like the second time I ever smoked weed. And it was, it looked like the stuff from Dr. Dre's Chronic 2000. But it, they had it shipped from Puerto Rico. I had been drinking Keystone Light all day. And then I hit it and just, you know, it was powerful looking back. And it was real. It wasn't dirt weed. It wasn't anything these dumb white suburban kids were getting. And I projectile through all that <laughs> Keystone Light. Uh, it was just like, huh? But then later, you know, it felt amazing. Uh, it went to Sonic, and it was like, well, I just told this story <laughs> another one. It's like this is. I was my buddy. He didn't. He's like, you okay? I was like, I, I just want to go get some food and let's go watch a movie. That is, that's truly my radioactive because that stuff was mm-hmm. glowing. Eliazar, thank you, buddy. Didn't speak a lick of English. I loved him so much. But this is this is one of those great moments. So I just started touring Ralphie uh, with Ralphie May. I'd been touring for the very young comic and we were doing some dates. And he's a bit, he was a big cannabis guy that kind of helped us probably early on get along, you know, like, Hey, you smoke weed like I do. And it doesn't affect you like it does everyone else. Cool. And then he brought me on the road a couple of times, tried and, you know, tested me out, make sure I wasn't a lunatic. Or made sure I was the right kind of lunatic, I think is more of what it is. I remember this so vividly. We were walking through an airport and we were walking towards security. We were about 150, 200 feet from going through security. And he goes, he stopped. He turned and he's like, you want to, do you want to be an actor? And I was like, I mean, no. I was like, I'm a stand up. I was like, I'm not. He's like, but you want to do acting? I was like, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, like, what? A, you know, I'll be on TV, you know. And he's like, well, this is your first acting. And he pulls out a quarter. Quarter ounce of weed. Is a quarter. Yes, quarter ounce. Sorry. Exactly. I figured. There's one would. person who just smoked last week and found this podcast. So that's very true. Okay. That's very just like, <laughs> why'd he pull out it? 25 cents. No. Don't make a phone call. Yeah. I say he pulls out a quarter bag of just pretty loud, if I'm being honest. And he hands it to me. He's like, well, this is your first acting lesson. Act like you don't have this. <laughs> and I don't know why I laughed. And I was like, and I just, without, I think it was just, it was just out in the open that I was like, hey, don't be having that out there. And I just, he's like, just put it in your pocket and act like you don't have it. And I was like, huh, okay, all right. 
And then I think in the back of my head, I've told this story since, and people were like, why did you do that? And I was like, well, I think I knew on some level that if I got in trouble, he would take care of it. He wouldn't throw me under the bus. But I think he also knew they're not going to look. They're not going to. I'm showing you they don't give a shit about this stuff that he gave me this gift. And and I didn't realize the gift he was giving me even at the time to be able to carry it wherever I go. Because I think he understood he was like, you use this as medicine more than you do use this as recreational, even if you don't know it yet. And so I'm giving you this gift to carry your medicine kind of anywhere. So that was a great moment for me where it was like, hey, you know, sometimes you got to put it on your tank. So that was a great moment. And then, oh, I know another great moment. I got arrested in Idaho, driving under the influence, a little point away. I was like right at the line. But I was in Idaho and I had a bowl right there and you could, you could smell that motherfucker as soon as he came up, you know. And yeah, I showed it to him. I gave it to him. Then they dropped the charge to inattentive driving. And then the lawyer I hired, he called me. And he hadn't called, you know, he was like, I get, you know, when I hired him, he's like, you don't want to come back to Idaho. And I was like, I mean, for the rest of my life, if I don't have to, it's like, I don't care. I've done it. And I've been back since. It's nice. Some of the state is really beautiful. But he was like, okay, well, we got this taken care of, we got this taken care of. Now, the only problem is like this. In the And at the time, Idaho was way ahead of the curve for whatever reason. It was still just a ticket. Possession was still kind of a ticket. And he's like, yeah, but we couldn't get it off your record. Well, you know, if you're trying to get a job and stuff, you know, they're going to, people are going to see that. And I was like, I just started laughing. And he was like, he's like, what, what's, I was like, oh man, I'm a stand up comedian. So I think this, I'm going to put this in my credits. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, this is not going to affect my job at all. And he started laughing so hard. He's like, I've been worried for a day and a half, but I had to tell you about it. And I couldn't get, I was like, oh man, this is, I was like, this is probably going to make me a little money if we're being honest. Cause I'm going to tell the story. And he's like, and he's funny. He was, you know, it's a, good Idaho lawyer. He started laughing. He said, like, hell, if I'd known that, you're going to make money, I'd have charged you a little bit more. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I appreciate your honesty. But that was like a great moment for me where it was like, oh, I don't have, like, this is, because of the way I've chosen to live my life, like, this will not affect me. And it kind of gives me this kind of extra power to be like, hey, it doesn't, all, it, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, and it's kind of a uh, a burn the ships moment, and I know it's been all comedy from from there on out. Yeah, and that really tracks, you know, looking at the long history of cannabis culturally. Show business people have always been connected with cannabis, and have always been a big part of bringing this culture to other people. And you can go back to the jazz musicians of the 20s and 30s who were not just uh, smoking it themselves and uh, writing songs about it, dozens and dozens of songs about weed from the 1930s from very, very popular artists. Yeah. But also, people didn't travel very much in those days. And so who did travel were musicians, singers, performers, the circus, Anything that was traveling entertainment was uh, one, a group of people who really, you know, uh, enjoyed 
weed who felt already outside of the mainstream of society. So you're going to be much more likely to want to try these things. And also, you know, if you are going around, you're a jazz musician as one example, maybe you're selling a little weed uh, to get by on the road or to make a little extra money. That weed all came with seeds back then. And those seeds spread and that allowed people who weren't from, you know, New Orleans is a port city. That's where jazz uh, came to be. That's also where a lot of the weed of that era was coming in from the Caribbean, uh, from Mexico, from Africa. And then, and you asked earlier, like, what it does, like, those shows where they get comics, they do their set, and then they get them really stoned, and they make them do their set again. That doesn't work for me. It doesn't. I'm just going to do a different set. It's not going to affect me at all. I learned I was smart enough, though. I got some good advice from an older comic that was like early on in my career. They're like, learn to do stand up sober early in your career. So then later you can do it all messed up if you need to or whatever, because you've got the foundation. Because if you learn to do it inebriated, then eventually you will have to dry up and clean out. And then you've got to learn to do it sober again. You've got to learn the whole thing over again. But I noticed real quick when I would go up stoned, I was more playful. I would go down certain, you know, rabbit holes or just certain directions longer than if I wasn't stoned. But then because I have a super high tolerance and always have, it didn't fuck with me up there. I wouldn't just be like, what is uh alcohol was worse for me on stage. And I think for most comments to, you know, to finish that thought, there's both a lot of anecdotal evidence and some hard science showing that weed can enhance people's ability to, in essence, improvise. When you talk about being ex more expansive, say, in a set and more willing to go beyond material that you've done before or to take it in a different direction that really tracks with these studies that uh, basically are what's called hyper priming uh, which is just simply taking these two ideas don't seem connected finding the connection that's sort of at the center of what improvisation is whether that's in jazz music or uh, in comedy and then i know your most recent special uh, maybe just to bring it bring it home with one last uh, great moment was not only very forward in its look at weed and psychedelics, but you had quite the uh, specific venue that you recorded it in. I did the International Church of Cannabis. It is a sacrament in some cultures, and then but it what it did was like it walked that it's that kind of fun civil disobedience and like where it's like you find the loopholes in the law to show that, hey, this is silly. And more of what you're talking about with, I was trying to explain DMT, which is part of what the special is about too, is the difference between DMT and like mushrooms or cannabis is because humans produce DMT. And when you're like, I was, I was trying to tell a friend, I was like, when you're on mushrooms, you should listen. Because the fungi is going to tell you and show you how it's all symbiotic and it works together. 
And so that's more of like a nature thing. You listen to nature and realize what we're part of it. But when you do DMT, it's truly, you can ask it questions and yet that motherfucker will answer you. And it's more about dimensional stuff and how we're on different planes as, as energies and things. So it's more of like a spiritual drug because our brains and stuff produce it. And I think cannabis is like a, it's a plant. So it's constantly showing us how connected we are if we're listening to it. And I think that's part of what I'm always trying to do by the way I poke at people in my comedy. If you travel enough, like you were saying, like circus people, musicians and, you know, drifters and David fucking snake oil salesman, they do understand all humans are the same. We're all the same. We have different pigments or whatever and whatever. We look a little different. We're shaped a little different. But what we are after, it's all the same. We all get horny. We all get hungry. We all have ambition. We all want this and this and this. And now, and what separates us, truly what separates us, are just these tiny ways we go about it because of the cultures we live in, which is mostly dictated by geography and climate which has, that is the only thing that separates us as humans is geography and climate. So we have to go about like getting laid a little different or getting food a little different or having fun and letting off steam just a little different. But it's the, it's the same fucking thing. And cannabis and the plants have shown me that. That's, and to, if you want to do it symbiotic to come all the way back, Humboldt, was one of those places that it was just the most clear to me that we're all this this one thing and we're not different you can really see it there and then if you do any research on who Humboldt was he was the first real he was the first kind of scientist that noticed and started preaching that you know he was a well-to-do motherfucker of wealth because that's the only way you got to do science back then and he traveled a lot and he was the first one to really point out that like, oh, we're not in charge of this plants. We're not like above, like they're doing their own thing and living their own stuff. And they have their own, we should be more of a part of this. Like we have no control of any, we can't control any of this. This is this own different thing. And then, you know, people at the time are like, this guy's crazy. He's a fucking idiot. We're the masters of here. And he's like, no. This is going to keep going after we're, this has been here before us and it's going to keep going after us. And what's amazing is like, they named Humboldt County after that dude. And then you go there and you're like, that's perfect. That is perfect. They nailed this one. They knocked this out of the park. Yeah. I can think of no place on earth that has uh, seen a greater attempt to control a plant and has gotten their asses handed to them every time <laughs> by that plant and uh i am very excited to be seeing you very soon october 1st at the mateel center in humboldt be there in person and if not you can listen to across our various podcasts these episodes and you can of course support these efforts to stop measure a in Humboldt County to shut down this bullshit and these eradicationists and 
free the plant and have a bright green future for all the farmers in Humboldt and all of us who love them. And uh, thank you, Billy Wayne, for sharing some great moments in your own weed history. And let's My make pleasure. some more uh, October 1st when I see you. Can't wait to hug your neck. We're going to have so much fun. <laughs> all right. See you then. Well, that's the show, folks. Thanks so much for listening. And if you stuck around this long, please consider supporting us on Patreon. You can put five on it at greatmomentsinweedhistory.com. And that would really help us as we research, write, edit, and publish a new episode every Weedness Day. Great Moments in Weed History is written, produced, and performed by me, David Beanenstock, a.k.a. Bean. Special thanks to our sponsor, PAX. Go to PAX.com and use promo code GREATMOMENTS, all one word, for a big discount at checkout.